Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is December 15th. Today we're going to continue in the family proclamation in paragraphs 4 and 5, which say, The first commandment that God gave to Adam and Eve pertained to their potential for parenthood as husband and wife. We declare that God's commandment for his children to multiply and replenish the earth remains in force. We further declare that God has commanded that the sacred powers of procreation are to be employed only between man and wife, lawfully wedded as husband and wife. We declare the means by which the mortal life is created to be divinely appointed. We affirm the sanctity of life and its importance in God's plan. Now, I think that this is such an important topic and one that is so sacred. And there's honestly a lot that I could say about it, but I don't think I could say any of it better than Elder Holland did in his talk, Souls, Symbols, and Sacrifice, given in 1988 at BYU. It is absolutely incredible. And I can already promise you that this podcast today is going to go long because I cut out as much as I could, but it was a 40 minute talk and I love every minute of it. So I'm going to play a portion of that talk for you now. My topic, as you may have guessed by all this seriousness, is that of human intimacy, a topic as sacred as any I know and more sacred than anything I have ever addressed from this podium. First, we simply must understand that revealed, restored Latter-day Saint doctrine of the soul and of the high and inextricable part the body plays in that doctrine. One of the plain and precious truths restored in this dispensation is that the spirit and the body are the soul of man, and that when the spirit and body are separated, men and women cannot receive a fullness of joy. Certainly that suggests something of the reason why the obtaining of a body is so fundamentally important to the plan of salvation in the first place. Why sin of any kind is such a serious matter, namely, because its, its automatic consequence is death, the separation of the spirit from the body. And then why the resurrection of the body is so central to the great and abiding and eternal triumph of Christ's atonement. May I quote a 1913 sermon by Elder James E. Talmage on this doctrinal point. We have been taught to look upon these bodies as gifts from God. We Latter-day Saints do not regard the body as something to be condemned, something to be abhorred. We regard the body as a sign of our royal birthright. We recognize that those who kept not their first estate were denied that inestimable blessing. We believe that these bodies may be made in very truth the temple of the Holy Ghost. It is particular, Brother Talmadge goes on, it it is peculiar to the theology of the Latter-day Saints that we regard the body as an essential part of the soul. Read your dictionaries, he says, the lexicons and encyclopedias, and you will find that nowhere in Christianity outside of the Church of Jesus Christ is the solemn and eternal truth taught that the soul of man is the body and the spirit combined. Close quote. So partly in answer to why such seriousness, we answer that one toying with the God-given and satanically coveted body of another toys with the very soul of that individual, toys with the central purpose and product of life, 
the very key to life, as Elder Boyd K. Packer once called it. In trivializing the soul of another, please insert the word body there, we trivialize the atonement which saved that soul and guaranteed that body's continued existence. And when one toys with the Son of Righteousness, the day star himself, one toys at white heat with a flame hotter and holier than the noonday sun. You cannot do so and not be burned. You cannot with impunity crucify Christ afresh. Exploitation of the body, please insert the word soul there, is in the last analysis an exploitation of him who is the light and the life of the world. Our soul then is what's at stake, our spirit and our body. Paul understood that doctrine of the soul every bit as well as James E. Talmadge did because it is gospel truth. The purchase price for our fullness of joy, body and spirit eternally united, is the pure and innocent blood of the Savior of this world. We cannot then say in ignorance or defiance, well, it's my life, or worse yet, it's my body. It is not. You are not your own, Paul said. You were bought with a price. So in answer to the question, why does God care so much about sexual transgression, it is partly because of the precious gift offered by and through His only begotten Son to redeem those souls, those bodies and spirits we share and abuse in such cheap and tawdry ways. Christ restored the very seeds of eternal lives, and we desecrate them at our peril. The first key reason for personal purity, our souls are involved and at stake. Second, may I suggest that human intimacy, that sacred physical union ordained of God for a married couple, deals with a symbol that demands special sanctity. Now, such an act of love between a man and a woman is or certainly was ordained to be a symbol of their total union, union of their hearts, their hopes, their lives, their love, their family, their future, their everything. It's a symbol that we try to suggest in the temple with a word like seal. Prophet Joseph Smith once said we perhaps ought to render such a sacred bond as, as welding that those united in matrimony and eternal families are welded together, inseparable, if you will, to withstand the temptations of the adversary and the afflictions of mortality. But such a total, virtually unbreakable union, such an unyielding commitment between a man and a woman, can only come with the proximity and the permanence afforded in a marriage covenant. With the union of all they possess, their very hearts and minds, their days and all their dreams. They work together, they cry together, they enjoy Brahms and Beethoven and breakfast together, they sacrifice and save and live together for all the abundance that such a totally intimate life provides such a couple. And the external symbol of that union, the physical manifestation of what is a far deeper spiritual and metaphysical bonding, is the physical blending of two bodies. Indeed, a most beautiful and gratifying expression of that larger, more complete union of eternal purpose and promise. In this ultimate expression, from one man to one woman, they are as nearly and as literally one 
as two separate physical bodies can ever be. It is in that act of ultimate physical intimacy we most nearly fulfill the commandment of the Lord given to Adam and Eve, living symbols for all married couples, when he invited them to cleave unto one another only and thus become one flesh. That leads me to my last reason, a last effort to say why. After soul and symbol, the word is sacrament, a term closely related to the other two. Sexual intimacy is not only a symbolic union between a man and a woman, the uniting of their very souls, but it is also symbolic of a union between mortals and deity, between otherwise ordinary and fallible humans uniting for a rare and special moment with God himself and all the powers by which he gives life in this wide universe of ours. In this latter sense, human intimacy is a sacrament, a very special kind of symbol. For our purpose here today, a sacrament could be any one of a number of gestures or acts or ordinances that unite us with God and his limitless powers. We are imperfect and mortal. He is perfect and immortal. But from time to time, indeed as often and as possible as is appropriate, we find ways and go to places and create circumstances where we can unite symbolically with him and in so doing gain access to his power. But I wish to stress with you this morning as my last of three reasons to be clean that sexual union is also in its own profound way a very real sacrament of the highest order. A union not only of a man and a woman, but very much the union of that man and woman with God. Indeed, if our definition of sacrament is that act of claiming and sharing and exercising God's own inestimable power, then I know of virtually no other divine privilege so routinely given to us all, women or men, ordained or unordained, Latter-day Saint or non-Latter-day Saint, than the miraculous and majestic power of transmitting life, that unspeakable, unfathomable, unbroken power of creation. These are the special moments in your lives. And other more formal ordinances will also let you feel the grace and grandeur of God. There are many such one-time experiences, your own confirmation or your own marriage, for example. Some are repeatable such as administering to the sick or doing ordinance work in the temple. But I know of nothing so earth-shatteringly powerful and yet so universally and unstintingly given as the God-given power available in every one of us from our early teens to create a human body. That wonder of all wonders, a genetically and spiritually unique being never seen before in the history of the world and never to be duplicated again in all the ages of eternity. A child, your child, with eyes and ears and fingers and toes and a future of unspeakable grandeur. And I submit to you that you will never be more like God at any other time in this life than when you are expressing that particular power. So surely God's trust in us to respect this future-forming gift is an awesomely staggering one. We who may not be able to repair a bicycle nor assemble an average jigsaw puzzle, yet we in all of our weakness and imperfections carry this majestic procreative power which makes us so very much like God at least in that one grand majestic way. I add my testimony to Elder Holland's about the sanctity of 
human intimacy and that blessing that our Father in Heaven has given us to play a part in His ultimate plan of creation and in His plan of salvation. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.